I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. We are going to do our annual season preview episode, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. As we do every year, this is our fifth year now. What we're going to do is something a little fun. 60 stats for 30 teams. Matt and I have each picked one interesting number about each of the 30 teams. That kind of leads us into a discussion about something interesting about all the clubs. At the end, we will do our predictions, and they will definitely be wrong. No one go back and double-check this in October. Matt, I can't believe it's been five years since we've been doing this. Um, if you go back to some of the first ones, it's really funny not only to see some of the numbers we used, but just the very different way we thought about some of those teams. <laughs> five years is a long time, man. <laughs> 2017, I'm trying to think of who made the, the playoffs that year. And it's, um, I guess, the, Astro, the, the Astros and Dodgers, I know that. Yes, I'm actually looking back. Your White Sox note that year, well, mine actually was about Nate Jones. And um, yours, oh, this is a good one. This is such a good one. This is about how Lucas Giolito's spin rate was so low that he could never succeed. <laughs> well, uh, teaser alert, I, I have a Giolito fact for this year, almost to, to make amends for, for that one from five years ago. All right, we are going to start uh, with the American League. And I just realized I'm kind of sick of starting with the American League East. We're going to do that. So uh, I'm going to throw a curveball. We're going to start with the American League West. So we'll go through each of the teams. We'll put out our numbers. At the end of the show, we'll do a prediction and preview. And opening day is nearly upon us. I'm super excited. Okay, Matt, we're going to start with the Astros. Okay, here's my stat. Uh, my number here is 153. That's weighted runs created plus for Jordan Alvarez over the last three years. Now, if you look at everybody over the last three years who've had at least 750 plate appearances, that 153 number is fourth best behind only Mike Trout, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis. And he's the guy I wanted to highlight because I feel like people maybe underrate him a little bit because he's primarily a DH. Uh, He did miss like all of 2020 except for a handful of at-bats with like double knee injuries, which is concerning for a guy that young. But really all he has done is come up and absolutely mash the ball. And I know he'll never win an MVP because DHs don't generate wins above replacement because they don't have fielding value. But I feel like people maybe underestimate how good he's going to be this year. He's like a top 10 hitter in baseball to me. That is my that is my Astros fact of the day. My Astros fact is kind of along the same lines. My number is 145, and that's Alex Bregman's OPS Plus from 2017 through 2020. Um, he obviously had was nicked up a bit last year. He had wrist surgery in the offseason. I think we've some people maybe have forgotten how good he is. And I think when you start looking at the teams in the AL West, it's kind of like, oh, this is why the Astros are heavy favorites because, you know, at least in my mind, Bregman, I still consider him elite. You know, 145 is a is a is an elite number. And then the Alvarez, they still have Altuve. Yes, Correa's gone, but this is still a very good lineup. 
Yeah, don't forget Kyle Tucker too. I think oh, yeah, we have that, both that guy. <laughs> that guy. Uh, I think we've both said multiple times that we are we are not out on the Astros. People think that the the rain is over, and it's super not. And it's a good point about Bregman because he was so bad down the stretch and in the playoffs last year. I don't want to say like unplayably bad, but it felt like it at times, and it was so clear he wasn't healthy. And I'm excited to see what a healthy Alex Bregman can do. We're going to go on to the uh, Angels. Here's my number for the Angels: six consecutive seasons under 500. Now we talked about this a little bit before and I was interested to think, well, they can't be the only team who've been under 500 for six years in a row. Like there are teams much worse than them. And then I looked into it and they are, they are the only team to be six for six and under 500 seasons. And I thought that can't be true. But then I went back and I'm like, oh yeah, well, six years ago, you got the end of that good Baltimore run and you had like a good Pittsburgh season early on in there and obviously those teams are in much worse shape now um, but the Angels despite having Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are the only team to be six for six and we cannot even talk about October we can't talk about the playoffs until you win more games than you lose in one season that is what stood out to me about the Angels and well related to that is my number which is 21 which is um the number of games uh, Mike Trout, the minimum number of games Mike Trout has missed at each of the last, I guess it is, six full seasons where we're, we're throwing, we're throwing in every full, coincidentally related to your number, in every full season since 2016, Mike Trout has missed at least 21 games and most seasons way more than that. He only played 114 in 2017, 134 in 2019, only 36 games last year. It's a shame. Um, we're missing some of like peak Mike Trout, but like if they want to, Break that break that streak. They need him to play at least 140 games this year. Is he going to? I sure hope so. <laughs> I sure hope so too. Um, Oakland, I think, of the 30 teams as we continue in the American League West here, was probably the one I had the hardest time coming up with an interesting fact for. And I don't think that's surprising. They've obviously made a ton of trades, um, but they still have some good players. And the guy who stands out to me here is Sean Murphy who, when I did the top 10 right now catcher list for MLB Network over the winter, I had him as my number four overall catcher. All right, He is a phenomenal defender, and he's a pretty decent hitter. So my number here is 161. That is points of OPS. This is the difference between his home and road OPS for his career. He's got an 826 on the road, a 665 at home. Obviously, that's not a very good hitter's park, enormous amounts of foul ground. I sort of wonder if, let's say when, he gets traded what he might look like on another team when he's not playing in that ballpark. Also, for what it's worth, he had one passed ball last year and the second best framing numbers. I think he's a pretty underrated catcher, and I'm a big fan of Sean Murphy's. My A's number is a totally weird trivia. Um, yes. Two. There are only two <laughs> players in MLB last year who finished in the 90th percentile or above in both strikeout rate and walk rate. One of them is Juan Soto. The other is Tony Kemp. That is <laughs> so good. There was, um, I think Ben Clemens at Fangraphs wrote something interesting on Tony Kemp where there was basically like, he just, he doesn't swing, right? And that's what makes him valuable because he's never going to have thunder in his bat and he makes it work. And I find Tony Kemp really interesting. And I will, I will say, I want to give a shout out to our, our, our research staff who's helped a ton with preparation for this, for this podcast episode. Shanti Sepeshapuro, uh, Nick Aguilera, Andrew Simon, Sarah Langs, David Adler, the whole, whole crew. So, before I forget, a tip of the cap to them because that was definitely the work of one of them. I'm not sure who it was, but it was definitely them, not me, that found that nugget. All right, moving on in the AL West uh, for Seattle. I feel already feel badly about my number here. I kind of wish I had 
redone it maybe like five minutes ago. And yeah, my number is 51. It's how many runs they got outscored by last year. I know it's a meme. I know it's the fun differential. I know people in North, you know, in Washington State are sick of hearing it. And yet it happened. You know, they won 90 games. They got outscored by 51 runs. That doesn't happen that much this year. I think I said on a previous show, I think they will score more runs than their opponents will. At the same time, they will win fewer games than last year. And I, I think everyone will be concerned about that. I will note, though, that they did add Julio Rodriguez to the opening day roster, which I think is super cool and extremely exciting. My number for the Mariners is 1268. That was Eugenio Suarez's OPS last September when he was amazing. Entering, entering September last year, his OPS was 618. He was terrible for the Reds. They got him as sort of like a throw as like a secondary piece of just like, hey, we're taking on his salary in the Jesse Winker trade. He doesn't even really need to be the the great version of Eugenio Suarez to be valuable to the to the uh, to the Mariners. So like he's a player I'm very much watching because even if he's just like good Eugenio Suarez, like you know 800 OPS, he could be an upgrade from what Corey C- uh, Kyle Seager was last year. Yeah, Kyle Seager had a really interesting year because on the surface you're like, wow, 35 homers, 101 RBIs, that's really really good. He also had a 285 on base and he hit 212 and was like essentially a league average player. And I think we've all seen enough stories of guys like lighting it up for the last few weeks against, you know, minor league call-ups. I'm not sure I'm buying Suarez yet, but I will point out it was not just batted ball luck. Like he actually clearly started hitting the ball off the ground, um, which is great for him. Okay, our fifth team in the AL West is Texas. My number is 67. That is weighted runs created plus. Remember, 100 is league average there from their catchers. That was the fourth worst in baseball, mostly Jonah Heim and Jose Trevino. However, Jose Trevino just got traded to the Yankees. They traded for Mitch Garver. And if you look at Mitch Garver in 2019 and 21 and throw out 2020 for a million different reasons, he had a 947 OPS. They could go from a bottom five catcher hitting team to potentially a top five if Garver stays healthy. He was not the big sexy name with all the signings they made, but I'm a huge Mitch Garver fan. I loved that move for them. My number for the Rangers is 99. That was the number of strikeouts that John Gray had on sliders last year, which was third most in the majors behind Robbie Ray and Clayton Kershaw. That is good company to keep. John Gray is a very interesting pitcher, leaving Coors Field, going into Arlington. You've written a bit about how maybe he might benefit from the reverse Coors effect. I think that's how you termed it. So he's a, he is a name to watch this year. Yes, he's also one of 11 billion pitchers trying to learn the sweeper this spring, which is a horizontal uh, slider. Okay, we're done with the AL West. Let's move on to the American League Central. My number here for the Chicago White Sox, which is where we're going to start, is 135. That is A.J. Pollock's weighted runs created plus over the last two years. Again, 100 is league average. A.J. Pollock just got traded to the White Sox a couple of days ago for Craig Kimbrell. And I think people maybe underrate how really good he's been for the last two years. That 135... Better than some of his L.A. teammates like Max Muncy and Justin Turner. The same as Mookie Betts. I don't think he's as good of a player as Mookie Betts, of course. But for a White Sox team that had an enormous, giant, gaping hole in right field, he is an almost perfect fit. I would say perfect if he was lefty. He's not. But I really liked that move for Chicago. Yeah, I totally agree. They they traded away Craig Kimbrell, who like clearly was not happy. He wasn't like the capital C closer there. So they basically, basically traded away a player they didn't really want. Not didn't want, but like was definitely not a great fit for a player who very much fills a void for them. My number, um, and this is my penance to uh, Lucas Giolito, is 90. (laughs) Um, He had the most strikeouts on changeups last year with 90 of them. Uh, The next best was Luis Castillo with 82. Lucas Giolito's changeup is one of my favorite pitches in baseball. It's like he throws this like high changeup in the middle of the zone, and it's like, oh, I should be able to crush this. But no, you swing and you miss. He's become maybe not a 
tier one starter in baseball, but he's I think he's comfortably in tier two and has really proven me wrong, proven 2017 version of me very wrong. Uh, both of us, by the way, because I said the exact same things that you did on old episodes of previous podcasts. I should say, as we're in the divisions, we are going in alphabetical order by city, not necessarily by the order we're going to pick them, although we'll probably pick the White Sox first. Our next team in the American League Central, the Cleveland Guardians. My number is 1.2. Stephen Kwan had 1.2 times as many walks as he did strikeouts in the minors last year. Think about that. 1.2 times as many walks as strikeouts, and he did it while slugging 527. He's their likely starting left fielder. We have been talking for legitimately six years about how Cleveland is just unwilling or incapable or whatever of finding offense from the outfield. I kind of like Miles Straw in center. And I kind of like Stephen Kwan in the outfield. I don't think it's going to be a good offense, but it's interesting. And man, they just need interesting. Speaking of Miles Straw, my number is 42.4. That was the sweet spot percentage for Miles Straw last year. Sweet spot percentage is like basically the amount of times you hit the ball in like the sweet spot of the bat and like a, a good launch angle. Not exit velocity, just in terms of like the angle for your, your batted balls. Number one in that category last year was Joey Votto. Number two is Nick Castellanos. Number three was Miles Straw. He obviously does not have the power as those guys, but he puts the battle of the bat on the ball. He's got incredible speed. Again, I'm not sure what the upside is, but he is interesting. Yeah, and he's a very good center fielder, too. He's, as you said, he's fast. He makes contact. He's a good defensive center fielder. The power is not there. But again, interesting is kind of all you need from a Cleveland outfield. The Detroit Tigers, the extremely interesting Detroit Tigers, my number for them, 67%. Now, they signed Eduardo Rodriguez. It was like the first big signing of the, the free agency period. 67% of the ground balls he put on the ground last year turned it out. That was the worst in Major League Baseball. Why? Because he was pitching for Boston, and the Boston infield defense was really deeply atrocious. You could see that in his 474 ERA, except he had a 332 FIP, a 347 Stackast expected ERA. Uh, by comparison, Adam Wainwright had 84% of his batted balls on the ground turned into outs. Now you take Eduardo Rodriguez, you get him away from that Boston infield defense, you put Javier Baez behind him. He is going to be a guy who's very, very clearly, I think, going to have at least a lower ERA, even if he does nothing different to get there. The Tigers are sort of a sneaky, interesting team, and, and my, ref, my my number is about one of their latest acquisitions. But like the pitching, there's so many questions about that starting pitching with all these young pitchers who were supposed to be like the next wave, you know, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tariq Skrubal, who none of whom have really panned out at all. And like if the Tigers are going to surprise, they really need those guys, especially with with Rodriguez leading the way. My number is 458. That is Austin Meadows' slugging percentage last last year. Austin Meadows acquired from the Rays in a trade last night. That 458 would have led all Tigers players with at least 400 plate appearances last year. So he is definitely coming and filling a void on that team with Meadows now in, Spencer Torkelson um, going to be on the opening day roster. The lineup is interesting. The rotation's interesting. I'm not sure where it's going to go, but they're a team that I will want to. They're, they're going to be on my list of like MLB.TV teams I want to watch this year. My favorite part of that trade last night was uh, Parker Meadows, who is Austin's younger brother, a minor leaguer in the Detroit farm system, just tweeting, wait, what? What What just happened? <laughs> this is great. Uh, Kansas City, I really enjoy that you and I have both picked shortstops for our guys here, and neither of those shortstops are Bobby Wood Jr., <laughs> who is probably going to play. He's going to make their roster. He'll probably play third base for them. My number here is, is 25. That is Outs above average, that's the StatCast defensive metric, from Nicky Lopez last year. He had 25 OAA, the best of any player in baseball, a truly elite defender. He did it while playing shortstop. 
and he's getting moved off of shortstop to play second base, which is like, I'm not sure I've ever seen a team with so many shortstops at the same time. It's an embarrassment of riches, and you take the best defensive one, and you move him off of shortstop so that you can make room for Matt, who's your number? <laughs> My number is 102. That is Adalberto Mondesi's career high for games played in his career. Shoulder injuries limited him in 2019. Last year was hamstring and groin. Like, But his career OBP is 283. So you have a guy who can't get on base and can't stay on the field, and yet you're making your phenom shortstop, Bobby Wood Jr., move to third base. I don't really understand that. I understand why Mondesi's interesting. He's got crazy speed. He's got some pop. Like, I totally get why the package is so enticing, but, like, we're now on, like, year six of this, and I just it's – a, it's a bit of a strange move from my perspective that you would, like – I feel like, you know, Wit is the guy you you build around, and I just – I don't really get it. Yeah, I had it in my head. It was only, like, a year or two ago where Mondesi showed pop, and I realized now it was – Four years ago in 2018 in half a season he hit 14 homers with 32 steals like that's the guy they want but you're not wrong it's been quite a while since we've seen that guy all right our final team in the american league central the minnesota twins my numbers i have two numbers for the same guy here 30 percent and 37 percent those are both strikeout rates from opening day starter joe ryan last year in a couple starts 30 percent strikeout rate in the majors in the minors for his career 37 percent he is the opening day starter. They got him in trade for Nelson Cruz. And I was thinking about this. We'll get to our, our award predictions later on. There are so many good American League rookies to think about, you know, Rodriguez and Witt and Torkelson and a couple others. And I don't know if I can take Joe Ryan, but man, I really want to. He's rookie eligible. He's shown a lot of success. He does it in an interesting way. Like he doesn't throw that hard, you know, but he's got the interesting approach angle on his fastball. I really, really like Joe Ryan. He's someone I'm going to watch a lot this year. Uh, my number this my number is six eleven, which is Byron Buxton's expected slugging last year, which was third in MLB for players with at least one hundred fifty plate appearances. What that says to me is that like what Buxton did last year in his abbreviated season, again he got hurt, was real, and that like he's really learned to drive the ball. This is not like you know cheap slugging from like oh him legging out some triples. This is this is real real power. And I also, in, in researching Buxton, his numbers on the first pitch last year, I wish I had them in front of me. I should have written them down. Apologies. Were insane. So one thing I'm watching this year, whenever I watch the Twins, is how often uh, Buxton swings at the first pitch. Because last year when he did, he absolutely crushed the ball. And if he could stay on the field, as we say every year, he's an MVP candidate. But man, that's a, that's going to be a fun team this year with him and Correa in the same lineup. Yeah, I tweeted that if he's healthy, he could be as good as Mike Trout and people lost their minds. And I'm like, hold on. Yeah, Trout's a better hitter, sure, but he is not a very good center fielder anymore. He's not the best defensive center fielder in baseball. That all matters, too. Uh, let's move on to the American League East. We have so many numbers to get through. My number for the Baltimore Orioles is 196. Nope, not how many games they're going to lose this year. That is how many home runs over the last four seasons would very likely to have not been home runs under the new ballpark configuration. They changed left field and Camden Yards this year. They pushed the outfield wall back like at 25 feet or so. I don't have it in front of me. They raised it. So now there's this giant rectangle out in left field where... I don't want to say cheap home runs, but let's say uh, easier home runs now would be in the yard. Maybe that's outs. Maybe it's extra base hits. I don't know, but it wouldn't be home runs. And so when I looked at that, uh, 196 of those batted balls over the last four years of those home runs would stay in the park. 12 of those came from John Means, who I imagine is super stoked to have much more outfield to uh, get fly balls into. Yeah, I, I know you don't make these kinds of decisions because of guys like 
Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle, but I feel like those guys are going to are going to uh, are going to suffer from this from this change. My number for the Orioles is five, as in the number of top one hundred prospects they have according to MLB Pipeline. They also have the number one ranked farm system. This to me is this this is the year where the, they need to start showing progress. We talked about this a little bit in the podcast with Will Leach last year. I think like now is the moment. Probably Adley Rutschman is going to debut possibly in the next few weeks if he can get healthy. Grayson Rodriguez soon after. Like this is it. This is the year we need to see like the proof of concept of like okay, this core is starting to arrive and like we're going to start you know creeping towards five hundred and hopefully the playoffs in the next three to four years. All right, my number for the Boston Red Sox is forty two and two thirds. That is innings pitched from Chris Sale over the last three seasons. If you think about it, his last really great season was the 2018 year when they went to the World Series. And then the next year, he had a 440 ERA and he got hurt. And now it's been like four years since his last good season. He's 33 now and he's hurt again. You know, I think it was a rib fracture this time. We assume we'll see him back at some point. But if you really sit down and think about it, it's been a very long time since you've seen Chris Sale at the peak of his powers. And this is a pretty thin Boston rotation. You know, I like Nick Pavetta. I like I like Nathan Ovaldi. Tanner Houck's fine. Um, but in an AL East division like that, with some of the lineups like you'll see in, in Toronto and New York, you need better starting pitching. You need peak Chris Sale. And I don't know if we'll ever see him again. They are a prime candidate to make a trade for. You know, I feel like we've 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 like you know we've traded Frankie Montes to like eighty seven teams <laughs> yeah. in the last few podcasts, but this is another team that would be high on the, the high on the list. On the flip side, man, the Red Sox offense could be a lot of fun. My number is twenty point five. That is the barrel rate for Bobby Dalbeck, which was his second in baseball over the last two years for any player with minimum three hundred batted balls. Bobby Dalbeck's going to hit like eighth in this team. You know, like it's this is, you know, J.D. Martinez is actually good again. They now have Trevor Story. They obviously still have Bogarts, Endeavors. You know, Alex Verdugo is a very good hitter. Like this is going to be a tough lineup to get through. They're going to play a lot of high scoring games. Yeah, if Dahlbeck can make enough contact, he's got a lot of strikeout issues. But let's say he can. An infield of Dahlbeck, Story, Bogarts, Endeavors could be the best hitting Offense infield uh, in baseball. I think the defense not so much, but the offense there <laughs> yeah, scary. And I, and I expect him to strike out a lot. Don't to be clear. Yeah, no but doubt. I, but it's like it's he's, he's he feels like more of like the you know the the good version of Joey Gallo potential career path. Uh, for the Yankees, my number is one hundred and eighty four. One eighty four. That is the points of difference in OPS between John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge combined, which is eight ninety four, and literally every other Yankee combined which was 7-10. Think about that. Aside from Stanton and Judge, the entire Yankee offense hit 7-10. Now, is it fair to say I just cut off the two best hitters? Of course, every lineup would suffer. Sure. But 7-10, an OPS of 7-10, and you've got guys like DJ LeMahieu and Torres and, and Gallo. If they want to succeed this year, uh, obviously they've made trades, right? It can't just be Stanton and Judge. You need LeMahieu to be better. You need Torres to be better. You need Josh Donaldson to contribute, which I think he will. I was just kind of stunned by the absolute gap between those two guys and the entire rest of that team. Uh, my number for the Yankees is 870. That is the number of innings pitched for Garrett Cole over the last five years, which is the most in MLB by 13 over Zach Greinke. Um, I say this because I, I, I think Cole is basically – he is, I think, what kind of Verlander used to be, which is basically like you could argue whether or not like he is peak the best pitcher, but he's like the most reliable combination of dominance and durability in the game right now. And I think that's extremely, extremely valuable. Another weird stat about Cole I unearthed, unearthed while looking this up. 
He's only had one intentional walk in those last five years. One intentional walk. Even Max Scherzer has nine intentional walks. Cole, I need to go look up who that one intentional walk was against. Yes, please don't do it while we're live on a podcast. I don't think that would be particularly appealing listening, but I would also be interested in hearing about it. My number for Tampa Bay is 39. And at first I thought that might be the number of pitchers they'll use this year. Maybe it will be. Uh, But that is the number of home runs from uh, the terminally underrated Brandon Lau. I should say Brandon Lau is not... Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe was a top pick in the 2016 draft who is going to make the team because they traded Austin Meadows. He is the brother of Nate Lowe. But Brandon Lowe, I think, never gets enough respect. And that's partially because he moves around a little bit. He plays second. He plays right. He's not a great uh, defender. Uh, But if you look at him over every year of his career, the man hits. And the Rays are not usually a team that has like a big power bat. This guy hit 39 home runs last year, and that is a brutal ballpark to hit in. I feel like we'll talk a lot about Franco and all these other guys. I really like Brandon Lau. They used to have Nate Lowe too, didn't they? They did. They had them both on the right side. It's a good thing and, they traded him before Josh got here. <laughs> um, my number is 12.0. That is Wander Franco's K rate last season, which was the eighth best among 262 players, at least 300 plate appearances. He still slugged 463, which is basically like – the, the profile, like you're seeing, it's like a very similar, like, a, I mean, Jose Ramirez slugs like 520. But the point is that, like, Wander still can give in, can give in some on some Ks and still has more room to grow. Like, he, like, even if he struck out a lot, like, you know, 10% more, he'd still have an incredible K rate and he could add a lot more power. It just shows you that, like, even with the, the, the power he showed in his rookie year, he still didn't strike out at all. And like, to me, that's like an incredible combination and really something to watch this year. Cause I could see him saying, okay, maybe I'll strike out 14% this year, but I'll, you know, add 30 points of slugging and then you have an MVP candidate. Yeah. I think people aren't really uh, taking into account the fact that he's going to have his first full season. You know, we're talking about Wit, Torkelson, Julio Rodriguez. Um, don't forget about Wander Franco already. Our final team in the American league, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, my number here is 140. That is the uh, fast, the batting average allowed by Jordan Romano on his four-seam fastball. That is the second lowest batting average allowed on a four-seam fastball, minimum 100 plate appearances, where Josh Hader is number one, and Yu Darvish is number three, and Jacob deGrom is number five. And Jordan Romano is in that list. He never really gets talked about in terms of like the elite closers or elite relievers in baseball. And I don't think I'd put him on a top 10 list or anything. But if you think about what really sunk the Blue Jays last year, it was that the bullpen kicked away so many leads. And I don't think it's a great bullpen now, but I think it's a better bullpen. You know, they went and they added some pieces. It's a lot deeper. And I think Romano has a chance to be a really good closer, even if people are not going to pay attention to him on a team with Vlad and Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa and all the rest. And they also have, what's his name? The guy who was incredible and then got hurt last year, who's also a lot of fun. Julian Merriweather. Merriweather. Yeah. Did you see Nate Pearson has mono now? Like there's, there's no end to the maladies that plagued Nate Pearson. <laughs> This is like the, uh, the the Simpsons. What was the guy who had all the different? Uh, was, well, Mike, well, Mike, Mike, Mike Socia was, wasn't one of the guys who kept getting all the random illnesses. Oh, well, I mean Montgomery Burns at one point got all of the illnesses, and that made him think he was invincible, but he was not. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm mixing up my episodes. Um, my number straight straight and simple one forty seven. That was the number of hard hit balls by that is by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. In 2021, which was 16 more than any other player in baseball. When you think about just like guys who hit the ball well consistently and are just like day in and day out, just absolute menaces at the plate. Vlad Jr. is it. Um, And like, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see what he's going to do this year. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast to go through our National League season preview. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. We are doing our annual 60 stats for 30 teams preview where we each come up with a stat per team. There are two of us, hence 60 stats. We just went through the American League. We are going to start in the National League, going in alphabetical order, uh, starting in the West, which brings us to the Arizona Diamondbacks. My number here is 397. That is what Cattell Marte had for a weighted on base average in 2019 and 2021. I'm ignoring the stupid 2020 there. You should all do that. We should all pretend that that year never happened, except for the Dodgers World Series Championship, (laughs) which definitely happened. If you just look at those two years, just 19 and 21, and you look at everybody who had 500 plate appearances, that 397 weighted on base is fourth best behind Trout, Soto, Tatis, and then Cattell Marte. And they just signed it. I kind of thought they were going to blow it all up and trade him after 112 losses last year. They decided not to. Uh, signing him doesn't mean they can't trade him, but that's generally not what you do. So he's going to be there for a while. I think he's going to play more second base this year in an attempt to keep him healthy. And I hope he is. I hope he stays healthy because he's a really like fascinating player to watch. He's a lot of fun. He's got big power. And that team like desperately needs someone like that. So here's to Cattell Marte. And his 397 we did on base. I really, I really, he's one of my favorite players in the game. Love to watch him play. Love to watch him play in that ballpark. That ballpark is my favorite. It's actually my favorite ballpark for like style of play. I just like the dimensions. I think it leads to like a lot of um, extra base hits and like, you know, you just got a wide outfield, but you still get home runs. Oh, um, and he, he, he suits it, suits it well. Um, my number is 524. That is Madison Bumgarner's career OPS. Why am I talking about Madison Bumgarner's career OPS when there's now a DH in both leagues? Because it's a reminder that even the quote-unquote good hitting pitchers were terrible at hitting. Please do not <laughs> lament. Please do not lament the end of the DH. Uh, okay. Okay. I like that one. Uh, the Colorado Rockies, my number here is 29. That is the number of major league starts in the last three seasons by any of their starting pitcher depth after their big five. So you look at their rotation, right? You have Herman Marquez, who I love, Kyle Freeland, Antonio Sensatella, uh, Austin Gomber, and Chad Cool. I'm not a, a huge fan of Chad Cool, but like that's a decent top five. And that's what they always talk about is that we think our rotation is strong. And it is. But with so much of the conversation this year around the Rockies talking about you know signing Chris Bryant after letting Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado go, I keep coming back to the fact that they let John Gray go and replaced him with Chad Cool. And there's no depth here, like none at all. If any of those guys get injured or don't perform, we're talking about like Peter Lambert or Ryan Rollison or Ashton Godot or Ty Block. And man, that's that those you you want those guys to be your ninth starter, not your sixth <laughs> starter. And that that I think more than anything about the lineup, that is what is going to probably sink the team this year. My number for Colorado is 544. That is the Rockies' win percentage at home since 1993, which ranks 12th, which is their first year in the majors, which ranks 12th in the majors in that time. The Rockies, a reminder, 
and I always need to remind people of this, are a very good home team. It is the road where they are an absolute disaster. Their road winning percentage in their history is 397, which is the lowest in MLB. I actually thought it was going to be by far the lowest when I looked it up. But somehow, since 1993, the Pirates have a 399 road winning percentage, which is almost as bad as the Rockies. I'm going to need to look in that a little further because at least the Rockies have a good excuse for that. The Pirates do not. But anyway, annual reminder, the Rockies win at home. They're terrible on the road. And that adjustment of having to play on the road versus at home and dealing with the changes in altitude is the biggest reason that they struggle to consistently win. For the Dodgers, I'm going to break all of my rules and uh, put some credence into a spring training batting line. My number here is 493. That is Justin Turner's spring OPS. That's a slash line of 154, 185, 308. Now, should I care about that at all? I should not. Kevin Newman hit 606 last year for the Pirates and then hit like 215 in the regular season. And Turner is certainly not the only Dodger who's kind of struggling this spring. The only reason I care about this is that Justin Turner always, always crushes the ball in spring training. Like he is notoriously a guy who's ready to hit from day one. In fact, I went back and I looked every year from 2014 to 2021. Anybody who had 100 spring plate appearances in that time, do you know who was the best hitter of the nearly 1,000 players who got 100 spring plate appearances? Justin Turner. He kills the ball in the spring constantly. And now he's not. And is that just a blip? Yeah, sure. It's spring. Who cares? But also he's 37 years old. And he had a serious hamstring injury that ended a season in the playoffs last year. And I'm not saying red alert, time to be worried. I'm just saying, huh, that's a thing. He's always great. And now he's not. And he's 37 years old. That's like a file it away because it's weird. And I don't like weird. And that's the thing about spring training. It's not that spring training is like stats, quote unquote, don't matter. It's just that they need all sorts of context and, and qualifiers. And they're more just like they're pieces of information, but like pieces of information you don't want to rush to judgment on. But like, yeah, now I'm going to pay closer attention to Justin Turner this year because he's been a met as a hitter when he's been healthy. He's basically been a metronome, like consistently like, you know, hitting like 300, 370, 490 for the past like, you know, nine years. So the fact that, you know, and he's been consistent in the spring too. So now that we've seen a blip, you're like, okay. I'm going to think a little bit differently. Uh, my number for the Dodgers is 138. That is Max Muncy's weighted runs created plus since 2018, which ranks 15th among qualifiers. That's higher than George Springer, Jose Ramirez, Vlad Jr., Alonzo, Otani, Xander Bogarts, John Carlos Stanton, just to name a few. And unlike Mike, I didn't even – I wasn't fancy enough to like remove the 2020 season. <laughs> and if I remove the 2020 season when Muncy was only – was mediocre, he'd even look even better. He gets so overshadowed by all like the stars on that team, like understandably, but like Max Muncy is as terms of like pure hitter is as good of a hitter as the Dodgers have at this point. Like, is that crazy to say? Uh, it's not crazy to say. Well, I mean, I don't know. They have two of the five best first basemen in baseball right now, and one of them is going to play second base, and it's not going to be Freddie Freeman. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, my Padres number, San Diego Padres, is eight. Number of starts they received from Jake Arrieta and Vince Velasquez late last year when they were trying to stick around in the race for a 972 ERA. And I point that out because the lack of starting pitching depth with all the injuries last year really crushed them. Like I said, you had to go find Jake Arrieta and Vince Velasquez. And they've really made it a point to reinforce that this year. You know, even just the other day, they went out and traded for Sean Manaya from Oakland. So they are a lot deeper in the rotation than last year. And I think I think they're going to surprise people. I know Tatis is out. I know that the offense isn't what it was or could be, but I really like the depth. And the other interesting note here is if you look at their top six starting pitchers, right? So Darvish, 
Musgrove, Manaya, Blake Snell, Chris Paddock, uh, and Mike Clevenger. All of those guys were acquired via trade. I find that fascinating. None of the developed guys have like panned out the way you'd want. Like we're still waiting on Mackenzie Gore. Like, I don't know if Adrian Morahone's in the picture anymore. Uh, and I guess they also signed uh, Nick Martinez back from uh, from Asia. But they have done a really great job of just trading for starting pitchers. So anybody who tells you you can't trade for a good starter, I implore you to go call AJ Preller. Um, speaking of Padres pitching, my number for them is one fifty four. That is the number of strike strikeouts that Joe Musgrove had on breaking pitches last year. Most in MLB. Joe Musgrove is a guy I'm watching really closely this year because I was looking. Um, I think there's there's hardly anyone who writes about pitching smarter than Eno Saris does at the Athletic, and he does his annual starter pitcher rankings. And I like did like a triple take when I saw he had Joe Musgrove ninth in the majors on his rankings. And so um, when it, when Eno sort of like puts that number on someone, it really stands. I mean, Musgrove was good last year, but like you know, I, I'll admit I didn't like analyze it closely, and I know Eno does his homework, so I was like, huh, this guy might actually be like the best pitcher on the staff. He is also, I believe, I'm like ninety percent certain, a free agent next season, and could be a really interesting case going into next season. He is from that area, so like maybe he wants to stay with the Padres. The Padres have shown a willingness to sign big free agents. So I'm not saying it's it's a fait accompli that he leaves, but like there's a world in which he's the best pitcher on the free agent market next year. Uh, my number for the final team in the National League West would be the San Francisco Giants. My number is 97. That is the fastball velocity that Alex Cobb reportedly touched this spring. Alex Cobb, he's 34 years old. He's had a 450 ERA over the last seven years, and he averaged 93 miles an hour last year. Now, I get it. right? Averaging and topping out are not the same thing. Short starts in spring are not the same thing as a long season. I get it. I get it. I get it. But if the Giants can turn Alex Cobb into a guy, like a guy who throws 96 now, think about what that's going to mean for their rotation. Remember, it was Logan Webb, and then everybody kind of hit free agency. And, you know, they brought some guys back. Alex Wood is back. Anthony DiScofani is back. But if Alex Cobb can be one of those guys that they just turn into a better pitcher, I think that will go a long way towards, you know, proving to everybody what they did last year is not just a one-year fluke. To be clear, they're not going to win 107 games this year. I don't think they're going to win 100 games this year. But I also don't think it's a fluke. I think they have real actionable ways to make people better. And man, if you can make Alex Cobb throw 97, <laughs> I think you can do anything. For sure. My number for the uh, for the Dodger, uh, Dodgers, Giants is two. That is the number of extra base hits that Camilo Duvall allowed to right-handed batters in 27 innings last year. His slider, especially to right-handers, is one of the most fun pitches in baseball. He's on my short list of fun relievers to watch. Uh, so he's, he's one of my guys for, for 2022. <laughs> All right, we are continuing our 60 stats for 30 teams. We're going to move into the National League Central now. I'm going to start with the Cubs here. My number is 1,002. That was Frank Schwindel's OPS with the Cubs last year. Now, he made his debut with the, with the Cubs on July 30th. You look at everybody who had 200 plate appearances from that point on, that 1,002 OPS was the seventh best in the majors. I want to make it clear. I do not think waiver claim Frank Schwindel, who's about to turn 30, is the seventh best hitter in baseball. However, it's not like we haven't seen stories like this in the past, right? Even if he's got a peak of like two or three years for a waiver claim guy, that that's really good. And I'm excited to see them give him a full season of a shot this year to see, is he the next Brian LaHare or is he the next, I don't know, guy who broke out at 29, whose name I can't think of because they, they need, they need some internal help here. Like they've made some moves and I don't believe Patrick Wisdom's going to make enough contact to keep it going. But Frank Schwindel had a really good minor league track record. He never got much of a shot. And this is his shot. This will be his only shot. 
and I hope he takes advantage of it. My number is 38. That is the number of home runs that Seiya Suzuki hit in NPB last year for Hiroshima. Um, I'm just curious to see how much of his power translates um, to the majors. You know, for for a little bit of quote unquote context, I'm not you know putting too much stock on this, but like there haven't been that many like power hitters who came over from you know Japanese players who came over and they were like profiled as like power hitters. You know, that's probably the, the best success story is Hideki Matsui, who hit 50 home runs in his first season before coming over to the Yankees, and then he hit 16 as a rookie. Um, now I'm not saying that like. You know, Suzuki's, oh, well, Matsui lost, you know, 60% of his power, and so Suzuki's going to do the same. The offensive environment has changed. Pitching has changed. The ball's changed. It's all, it's all different, but it's just like a little bit of a frame of reference. And then Matsui's career high with the Yankees was 31 homers. So I'm very curious, you know, tw- you know, 20 years later now, right? I guess it's I think, I think Matsui debuted in 2003. So, yeah, we're almost 20 years later um, to see how much of his offensive game translates because, like, based on, you know, everything – We've heard and what you know we we we've talked about on this podcast. I think there's a chance he's really exciting, and I I, I hope that number is closer to 38. I think he's going to be the real deal. I'm going to make a last minute change of my Cincinnati number here. My number for the Reds was going to be Joey Votto's uh, barrels per batted ball rate, which was the ninth best in baseball, 17.2. percent He wants the lead league in barrels last year, this year. All good, all cool. No, my new number for Joey Votto is 68,000. And that is the numbers of followers on Instagram he has accumulated just in like the week or so he's been on Instagram. He's tweeting about playing chess and not just playing chess. Like he tweeted out the actual like notation of the moves when he met like Gary Kasparov. He's an enormous nerd. And I say that lovingly, like it's personality is coming through on Instagram. And I imagine by the time you hear this, by the time we get to opening day, hopefully that number will even be higher than 68,000 because Joey Votto's on Instagram now. <laughs> My number for the Reds is 104, as in 104 miles per hour. That is the velocity that Hunter Green uh, has reportedly topped out at in the minors. And we'll guess we'll we will see for ourselves on Sunday when the the Reds' top prospect and the one-time number two pick in the MLB draft makes his major league debut against the the Braves. And that game is actually on ESPN Plus if you want to watch it nationally. I'm really excited to see Hunter Green pitch in the majors. I I think it's. I'm, I'm good on the. I think it's cool the Reds called him up. I sort of feel like kind of player like that is who's so volatile. Like he might be as good now as he's ever going to be. You know, guy like high velocity pitcher. You never like it's like let's see what you got. And I'm I'm very curious to see what he has in his debut. Uh, my number for the Pittsburgh Pirates is plus two point nine. That is a plus two point nine mile an hour increase from Mitch Keller's fastball velocity last year, ninety three point eight, to the ninety six point seven he's showing in the spring. That's not unexpected necessarily. Uh, we saw him uh, post some social media videos about his work at, um, I can't remember if it was exactly driveline or something like driveline where he was touching 100 miles an hour. That is really interesting. The Pirates really need some internal improvement. Mitch Keller's fastball was not fast enough. And the larger issue is that it was just too straight. He was throwing straight 93 mile an hour fastballs, which predictably got smashed into the sun. Now, if he's up to 96, 97, I'm interested to see if there's difference in the fastball shape. That could be interesting. You know, he was a highly touted prospect at one point. I was all but completely out on him after last year. But if this is real and something he can keep, it's got the potential to change his career around. My number for the uh, Pirates is 16. That is the outs above average for Cabrian Hayes in 2020, 2020, 20, and 21 combined. That's second only to Matt Chapman among third basemen. His bat hasn't really come along. He's had some injuries. Um, he's really struggled to um, pull the ball, as I've learned. If you look at his spray chart, it's kind of wild. He's it's, he really hasn't been the same hitter. He wasn't really the same hitter last year as he was. But 
the baseline is an elite defensive third baseman. And if he can start hitting, I still think he could be a cornerstone for the Pirates. Our last, uh, our next to last team in the National League Central, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, my number is 23, really negative 23. That is the run value on Adrian Hauser's sinker. Basically what that means is it's not just taking the outcome on balls in play, but it's taking the outcomes of every single pitch. There is value in just throwing a strike. You know, there is value in going from 01 to 02. You take all those little bits of value together and you put them together and you can get a list of the best pitches in baseball. Well, number one on that list, Carlos Rodon's four-seamer. Number two on that list, tied with Kevin Gausman's splitter, Adrian Hauser's sinker. And he has been kind of like one of my breakout guys for years. I know it's never going to happen. He's never going to find that extra breaking pitch that's going to help him really miss bats. So maybe he's a one or two pitch pitcher. But when you look at their rotation, you think of Burns and Woodruff and Freddie Peralta and not Luis Perdomo, who got sent down to the minors. And as like a back end starter with Eric Lauer, I find him fascinating. And I just I keep wanting to see him take that sinker and become like a Corbin Burns esque monster. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but man, that's a good pitch. My number for the Brewers is 70. That is the number of strikeouts that Devin Williams had on changeups last year. This is a counting stat. That was third in the majors. The rest of the top five are all starting pitchers. He is a relief pitcher. You could argue that his changeup is maybe like like the, the best singular pitch that any pitcher has in baseball. Like every time he gets two strikes, it's like I'm throwing a changeup and you are going to miss. Um, he's awesome to watch. My number for the St. Louis Cardinals is 22. This will be Albert Pujols' 22nd consecutive opening day start. That is the second most in baseball history. Pete Rose had 23. And now that I think about it, Pete Rose was probably writing his own name in the lineup for at least the last one or two of those as he was a player manager for the Reds in the 1980s. Other names in the lineup from Albert Pujols' very first opening day start in Coors Field in 2001, Mark McGuire, Jim Edmonds, and Larry Walker. That is a long, long time. I went back and watched his first hit the other day when I, I was like, you know, a little nostalgia, his first major league hit with the Cardinals. He singled off Mike Hampton, who was making his first start for the Rockies after signing over from the Mets. And then he promptly got s- thrown out trying to steal a second base. <laughs> I don't think we'll see that this time. <laughs> uh, my, speaking of old Cardinals, my number is 388. That is the number of called strikes, quote unquote, on the edges last year for Adam, Adam Wainwright, which was by far the most in the majors. 39 more than Tyler Molle, who was second. I mean... Any chance Adam Wainwright can do again what he did last year? He was so good last year, and the Cardinals desperately need him to sign up to be an approximation of that from last year, no? No, that's what I was going to say is he kind of has to be, and I'm not saying he can't. Like Nothing he did seemed flukish last year, but also he's going to be 41 years old. That is a that is a lot to put on him. Is he going to do it? Do you think he's going to do it? Probably not. No, probably not. All right, let's move on to the National League East, our last division as we do 60 stats for 30 teams. Your defending World Series champion, Atlanta Braves, my number is five. Nope, not talking about anybody's uniform number. I don't, nope, don't know who that could be. Five is Austin Riley's outs above average in September. That's a defensive stat. That was tied for third best in baseball that month. If you watched Austin Riley last year, the metrics defensively did not generally like him that much, or at least the StatCast metrics did. Others did. And Braves fans were very upset about that. I looked into it a lot and I was like, you know, this makes sense. At one point in June, he made like five errors in five days. Of course, the numbers wouldn't like it. But as the season went on and as they shifted more and as he got more comfortable, the metrics kind of came up with what Braves fans wanted to see. And he was a stellar defender by the end of the season. And now you put that together with what was like MVP caliber hitting. And I'm 
in on him as a star. You know, I think that infield is going to be really good, even without Freeman, because I love Matt Olson. And I think Austin Riley has a, a real chance to be like the next big thing there. I, my number for the Braves is 1,400, which is Ozzy Albee's career OPS as a right-handed batter against right-handed pitchers. Um, yes, I know that is just 10 plate appearances, but his career OPS is 200 points better from the right side than from the left side. We've talked about this before. Ozzy Albee's, I have a strong suspicion, should be solely be a right-handed hitter. I could be way off about this. I would just love to see him try it to see what happened because, like, it's possible that, like, there's another level to be unlocked if he just, like, hit righty. And I could be way off about this. And, like, it's just one of those things, like, I'm so curious about. I would just, like, I'd just like to know because he's already a good player, but I feel like he still does the switch hitter thing because he came up as kind of a speedster profile. And for a long time in baseball history, speedsters were kind of taught to hit switch hit because from the left side, you're a step closer to first and you could leg out some extra some extra infield hits. I doubt Ozzy Albies is getting a meaningful number of infield hits that would change it, that would be, have to be, make such an impact that if he was a better hitter from the right side, it wouldn't be worth it. My number for the Miami Marlins is 224. That is the points of difference in OPS for Jorge Soler between the Royals last year, where he had a 658 OPS, and the Braves, where he had an 882 OPS. I want to know which one is he. Obviously, the Marlins really desperately need offense. They gave him a, a decently sized contract, along with some other players, uh, Joey Wendell and uh, obviously Al Garcia, you know, to come down there and add some power. And I liked it for them. You know, that's a tough ballpark to hit in. He's got top end power when he can make contact. I'm just not sure what kind of player he was. I mean, remember, the Royals just kind of dumped him for a low-level minor league pitcher not that long ago, and then he went on the hottest streak of his life for the Braves. So while I do like him going there, I'm just I'm not sure what to expect from him. And that's a big deal because their pitching is going to be good. I still don't think they have enough offense. My number for the for the Marlins is uh, 98.1. That is the average velocity for Sandy Alcantara, which was the second highest among starting pitchers last year behind only DeGrom. Um, Sandy Alcantara not only throws really hard, he also is a workhorse. He finished uh, fourth in the, in the National League in innings last year with 200, 200, 205. And then he, in 2019, he had 197, which was seventh in the National League. Pitchers who throw that hard and have that kind of workload, the track record's not great. I hope he can sort of buck that trend because he's he's a fun pitcher to watch. He works fast. He pounds his own with, with 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 his fastball, and he leads what is like a really good rotation and makes the uh, Marlins, if not necessarily a contender, a really tough opponent. You know, I'm really glad we just got to the Mets because I, I feel obligated to share with you a tweet I just saw, Matt. Here's a tweet. I'm going to read it verbatim. Buck Showalter says it's fair to say that the opening day starter could come from the trio of Tyler McGill, David Peterson, and Trevor Williams. I, I'm i not sure how to react to that. Is that what Mets fans were hoping for? And why not Chris Bassett? I guess I don't actually know the answer to that. Wow, that is a mess. Anyway, here's my number, 2,469. That is days missed due to injury last year by the Mets, third most in the majors per baseball prospectus, and now they're older, and now things are already going south. DeGrom obviously is out with a shoulder injury. Scherzer has a hamstring problem, which you know sounds minor. Uh, Brandon Nimmo is out for a couple days with a neck issue. Taiwan Walker uh, has a sore knee, I believe, because he had uh, knee surgery last year. He pitched today, and he got absolutely torched by the Nationals. His velocity was down. And man, I know the Mets have a huge payroll, and I know they have big stars. I am so scared about how old and how fragile this team is already. I'm I'm terrified. You're going to start David Peterson on opening day? <laughs> how? 
I mean, I like it's to me, that's just like one of those random things. Like, I think your your concerns are well founded, but like that's just like a random thing because clearly they had Bassett lined up and he wanted to keep him on the day he's lined up for. And the pushers are back. He's supposedly he's not going to pitch the second game of the season. So it's like, okay, how can we sort of like fill in this gap? I don't think. Again, broadly speaking, I think your concerns are very well founded, and like they really need like the guys who are in their prime, namely uh, Alonzo and Lindor. I think to really kind of like play at their play at their peak for them to kind of reach their ceiling. Yeah, you're not wrong, but it's still very funny to say that a team like this might start like David Peterson on opening day. For sure. Um, my number four, the Mets is 109, which is Robinson Cano's career OPS plus as a Met, which is good. And if you consider when he came back from his wrist injury in in in, in um, 2019, he's been an elite hitter when he's put on a Mets uniform. Now, I understand he was suspended last year. I understand why people are skeptic. The guy has hit, continued, continually hit throughout his career wherever he's been. And if you look at the StatCast metrics, they've been extremely consistent in terms of batted ball quality, expected batting average, expected weighted on base. Like, if we can still expect... Nelson Cruz to hit well. I have no reason to doubt that Robinson Cano will continue to hit well. And like, there's this kind of conversation around the Mets, like, oh, Cano is done. Like, I still think Cano can hit. And now that there's a DH, I actually think he could be pretty a pretty important member of the Mets this season. So you're saying that you didn't want them to replace him with Eric Hosmer, as that insane trade rumor suggested. <laughs> well, nope. I, just, I assume if that trade rumor happened, they would they would sort of you know flip flip Hosmer or like you know eat another part of Hosmer's contract to trade him. But that's just me. Wasn't that, that, yeah. that was sort of how I read it. Uh, my number for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies is five. That is the number of balls that Matt Veerling hit at 100 miles an hour or more in a game on August 31st. Only six other players last year had a game where they hit five balls that hard, and the names are awesome. Juan Soto, Paul Goldschmidt, Byron Buxton, Ryan McMahon, Austin Riley, and his teammate, Reese Hoskins. And for all the stars they have on this team, they don't really have a center fielder. You know, they brought back Odubel Herrera, but he's injured now. They're kind of counting on Matt Vierling to play some center field. Is that a good idea? I don't know. But it's pretty cool that a guy who's in his like first like two weeks in the majors, or at least as a rookie, can come up and hit the ball that hard that often. And at least gives him something to, you know, work off of because you look at that outfield, defending MVP Bryce Harper on one side, uh, massive free agent contracts to Schwarber and Castellanos on the other side, and Matt Vierling in the middle, trying to keep it all together. My number four, the Phillies, is 2.7. That was the barrel rate allowed by Ranger Suarez last year, which was third best in the majors. Is he for real? I kind of think that, like, if he's anything – I mean, he was incredible last year. He's in the second percentile in fastball spin rate, which sort of, like, tells you that it's almost like a – it's the opposite of rising. It's like a dead – it's like the the, the bowling ball, like, sinker. So people cannot – they basically cannot – Bar- you know, barrel up the ball and 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 hit for power against them, or at least they couldn't last year. But like, think of the Phillies; they, they sort of they're a team that like it, the, I mean, they're kind of similar to the Mets in that they have a lot of stars, but also a lot of questions. So like, like anything between like seventy five and ninety five wins would not surprise me. Um, and like Ranger Suarez is like a big part of that sort of variance, in my opinion. Our final team, the Washington Nationals, and my number here is pretty much exactly the same thing I said for the Red Sox when I talked about how Chris Sale has generally not been available. My number is 26 and two-thirds. That is a number of innings from Steven Strasburg over the last two seasons. He's basically barely been seen since that run to the World Series in 2019. He turns 34 years old in July, and I don't know that anything has ever made me feel older 
than Steven Strasburg being 34 in July. It feels like 10 minutes ago that I told my brother who lives in San Diego, like, hey, go see the San Diego State game. Trust me, you're going to love it. That was a long time ago. He still has five years left on this contract, you know? And I know the Nationals aren't very good. They're not going anywhere this year, but they certainly hope to within the next five years on his contract. And he really, like, they really need to get something more out of him than he has given over the last two years. Uh, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because I mean, he 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 had just you know they just won the World Series. is a big part of that. He signed the new contract and basically has barely pitched since. It's kind of a shame because he's you know he's you know, been a career been a career national, but it's unclear when if he's going to be able to sort of have that twilight you know successful like you know second second act to his career because he's such had such a hard time staying healthy. Um, my number is, you know, a, kind of an obvious one, but maybe I, you know, I don't want Sarah Langs to be mad at me. So I'll give us a Juan Soto number. Um, 12.2, that's Juan Soto's chase rate, which is by far the lowest in the majors. Last year, he was 12.2. No one else was below 15%. He is, he is a, a master of the strike zone. He's the closest thing we have to what Barry Bonds was, you know, in his prime and his at-bats are a joy, especially with his little, like, you know, his little foot drag when he, like, sniffs at a pitch and doesn't swing at it. So um, all hail Juan Soto. His, his at-bats are, are, are must-see TV and make the Nationals worth watching no matter what. Speaking of Juan Soto, it's time to get to our predictions and awards. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back, and Matt and I will make some choices. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back with the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. Matt, we successfully went through 60 stats for 30 teams for the fifth year in a row, which is super cool. I'm excited to have done it with you. Um, Here's the thing. We're going to pick some predictions and we're going to go division by division. And I got to say, I'm disappointed in us. Of the six divisions, I believe we have the same choice for five of them. (laughs) So here's where we are. Let's start the the National League since that's what we just talked about. And I don't want to give away the whole game here, but we picked the exact same teams to win all three divisions, didn't we? <laughs> didn't we? In, in the American League? No, National League. National League, yes, we did. Yeah, Braves, Brewers, Dodgers. I think both of us think, obviously, the Dodgers are the class of the West. I think neither of us trust any team in the Central, aside from the Brewers. And I'm guessing that you feel the same way as I do, um, that the Braves, obviously, defending champs, but they're strong, where the Mets are kind of falling apart already, and the Phillies... Well, interesting. Um, I have a lot of problems on defense. Is that is that an accurate way to sum up the way you thought about it? Correct. I think that neither neither the Phillies or Mets finishing ahead of the Braves would surprise me. But I think that like you know with Degrom's injury, I don't think you can credibly pick the Mets over the Braves right now. Um, and the Phillies, as I just, was just alluding to, there's just so much variance in the roster. But like I could see them winning that division. But like the Braves, the pitching depth, both in the rotation and the bullpen. Um, really sets them apart, in my opinion. Plus, they're going to be getting Acuna back um, in just a few weeks, so that's that's why I put them. Put, I think they're the clear favorites. Cardinals, I think, could could be in for their one of their first real like down seasons in a while. 
um, unless Flaherty can Jack Flaherty can somehow like miraculously heal and be you know an elite pitcher again. And the Dodgers are obviously the Dodgers. Okay, so we each have Braves, Brewers, Dodgers, and now remember there are three wild card teams this year. I went Padres, Phillies, and Giants. That's right. I left out the Mets. I am so down on the Mets right now. They're definitely going to win 110 games this year, just despite <laughs> me. I thought about the Cardinals because um, I really do like their lineup in a lot of ways, but I'm with you on the starting rotation. Uh, you know, Without Flaherty, having to rely on 41-year-old Wainwright, that scares me. And, you know, I just I, I had to get the Giants in there. I think they're going to take a step back, but I don't think they're a 75-win team. You know, I really, really like what they've done. I think just as last year we saw guys somewhat out of nowhere like Lamont Wade, you know, Darren Ruff. I don't know who it's going to be this year. Maybe Alex Cobb. Maybe it's going to be Carlos Martinez, but it's going to be somebody. I think they're going to get that last wild card spot. Padres, Phillies, Giants for me. What did you have? I have um similar mix, but I go Phillies in the number one wild card one, Potters in wild card two, and the Mets in wild card three. I think that like um I Mets Giants for that last spot, coin flip. Um I think they've just got a little bit higher in talent, and I think they're gonna be very desperate to if if they're in a ma- race to make a move, um, to sort of like get over the top. So I think that like I give them a slight edge there, but I'm not I'm not feeling especially confident about that. <laughs> We both picked the Dodgers to come out of the National League, and I think I just I have a hard time figuring out how you could pick anybody else. Although I have to admit, I'm a little worried. Right, I'm a little worried uh, about Justin Turner, as we talked about before. I'm worried about the outfield depth now that they traded Pollock and Cody Bellinger has not hit it all this spring. I think the bullpen's going to be very good. I think the rotation will be fine. I never thought I'd be worried about a Dodger offense that just signed Freddie Freeman, um, but also they lost Corey Seager too. You know, so I, they're still the class of the league. I think we're maybe pushing it too much on the best team ever talk, but we both picked the Dodgers. Did you think about anybody else seriously? I mean, again, like it, this is baseball, so no one would surprise me. But I think that you know they're they're the best team. It's not like it's not it's it's not rocket science. But I don't think the gap between them and the Braves is huge. But I think that like it's there's there's a gap. Okay, for uh, MVP, you picked a Dodger. Did you pick Mookie Betts or Freddie Freeman or Max Muncie uh, or Cody Bellinger? You picked Will Smith. No, who did you pick? <laughs> I picked Trey Turner. Trey Turner, the other one, right? Yes. I, I think oh, Trey, Trey I mean, he did finish fifth in the MVP vote last year. And I feel like if he had stayed with one team, he might have won MVP because the season was so ridiculously good. Um, 328, 375, 536 with 28 homers and 32 steals. Um, and he also led the league in total bases. I think that he's entering his free agent year. So there's going to be like a lot of talk about him. I think it's, he'll probably stay with one team all year. They're probably going to win 95 to 100 games. I feel like it actually is somehow hard to win MVP on a super team just because there's so many good players that it's almost hard to stand out. And there's obviously going to be narratives around Freddie Freeman and all that. I just think that this is the year where the the, the, the spotlight kind of shines on Trey Turner and he wins nationally at MVP. I'm really glad you said that, that it's hard to win MVP on a super team because I picked Juan Soto. And the pushback on that will be, well, it's hard to win MVP on a lousy team and the Nationals are going to be lousy. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, okay, maybe we shouldn't start worrying about teams. Like, is the only guy who can win MVP from, like, a quality 93-win team? No. Just look at the players. Juan Soto is already a superstar. He's a historic superstar. And if he's healthy, I think he is going to put up one of the most monstrous years we've ever seen, to the point that nobody will care how good or bad his team is. All right, let's do two more National League rookie picks. Uh, rookie of the year, I went Seiya Suzuki. Um, I really think that obviously he's going to get opportunity. That's the first thing I look at with rookie. You know, is he going to get a chance to play? Suzuki clearly is. And every scouting report we've seen says that he is going to come over and he's going to be ready to hit from day one. 
And I know this doesn't factor into the voting too much. Maybe it should. He just seems like an exceptionally cool dude, right? <laughs> like if you've seen him give interviews, talk about, oh, I picked this number because Mike Trout rules. Like I get it. And I mean, it's endearing. I don't know if it'll help you in the voting, but if it's a tie, eh, maybe a little tiebreaker there. Uh, my, my, um, my pick is CJ Abrams with the Padres. I think that there's a little bit of like a, I like to have my, like my predictions kind of like, you know, wards predictions tie as best they can to those, the standings predictions. And we talked about this with, with Will Leach last week, the Padres are a little bit of a post hype sleeper that they've underachieved for so long that I think, and everyone's kind of down on them with Fernando Tatis out, but I think they're going to bounce back. And part of that is going to be some surprising performances and CJ Abrams, who's one of their top prospects may open uh, on the opening day roster to sort of like play shortstop into Tisa's absence. And I think he's, he's a really exciting player, very fast, can be like make highlight plays both on both sides of the ball. So I just think that like, he's the kind of player that if like, Oh, the narrative could be like, Oh, the, the Padres somehow, you know, held you know held serve while Tatis was out and it was this this exciting young rookie who who led the way so that's why he's my pick Ben, I'm with you on that. He looks so good this spring. I hope he gets a real chance to play. All right, and finally, for the National League, we're going to make Cy Young picks. I'm going to go Walker Bueller. Now, I thought about Corbin Burns, who I think is, uh, well, let's say DeGrom is the best pitcher. He's not healthy, so it's not him. I think Corbin Burns is the best pitcher aside from him, but I've seen no indication that they're going to push him harder than they did last year, and we're going to have this same issue about did he throw enough innings, and when I go back and I think about last year's voting, we talked about Zach Wheeler, but Walker Bueller threw like six fewer innings with a better ERA and nobody talked about him. I think he's got all the stuff. I think he's just going to put it together. He's going to be the best pitcher on a staff that, you know, on a team that's going to win 105 games. And I'm comfortable saying Walker Bueller. I think it's a safe pick. Um, it's a, it's a fair pick. It's wrong, but it's, a, it's a oh, fair pick. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I'm going with, with uh, Brandon Woodruff, who I think is just for, for the kind of reasons you mentioned, I see him pitching, more innings than his teammate Corbin Burns. And I think that like, you know, he's been extremely consistent the last few years and um, just sort of a hunch that this is his, his, his time, so to speak. But um, ah. you know, there's, there's a bunch of good candidates in the national league. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap up. Let's go through the American league. We'll do our projections and predictions and awards. Uh, and then we'll be all done in the East. I went with the blue Jays. I think the East is the toughest division to pick of any of the six divisions. You can make an argument for the Rays. You can make an argument for the Yankees. I guess you can make an argument for the Red Sox, but I wouldn't. I think the Blue Jays um, are living up to all the hype they've got. They've fixed the bullpen, which was a huge issue last year. They've improved the infield defense. The rotation looks strong. You get a full year of Alec Manoa. I think the Blue Jays are just so stacked and set, and they're going to get a boost uh, from the full year in Toronto, I think. And, I, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, They'll get an advantage if unvaccinated players can't be on the visiting team in Toronto. Yeah, maybe, but it also hurts them in terms of maybe not being able to trade for or sign those players too. So I'm not worried about that much. But a whole season in Toronto with that roster, this team's going to win the East. Yeah, it's a, it's the toughest division to pick. I think I'm going with the Rays just because I feel like they always figure out a way to sort of exceed expectations and the hypes on the Blue Jays. But, you know, the Blue Jays would not surprise me one bit. In the Central, we both went with the White Sox. I this was maybe the easiest. Well, I guess the Dodgers probably, but probably the easiest of any of the other divisions for me to pick. Like I like the Twins. They're better. I think the Tigers and the Royals are on the way up. Cleveland is still okay. I I cannot see any of them coming close to the White Sox, especially after adding Pollock. Yeah, I I, I thought the Pollock was like they actually 
they they kind of went up a level in my mind with the with the Pollock. Because like, okay, they you know despite what Tony Larusa said of like our right fielders in camp, they, went. <laughs> they signed two right fielders. <laughs> they went and got a good right fielder. Their teams like it it makes them like probably like two wins better, like legitimately. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, White Sox were an easy pick. Yeah, I should say by the way, um, I made this pick before Lance Lynn had knee surgery, so he's going to be out for a couple weeks. It's not going to help. Crochet has t- Tommy John surgery. You're you're counting on Joe Kelly a little bit more than you want to, but I think those are more issues maybe for the postseason. The uh, they have plenty of cushion in the regular season, and the West we both chose the Astros as we've kind of talked about a couple times now. They are not the post peak Astros. They may maybe not the best version of the Astros, but the team is still really really good. And while there are other interesting teams in the West, I, they are still the class of that division until someone else says otherwise. Um, okay, let's go to the wild card picks. So it's funny, I picked the Blue Jays to win the East and you picked the Rays. Well, my number one wild card team is the Rays and yours is the Blue Jays, which I think says a lot about the fact that we both think a lot of them, we actually both picked the Yankees as our second wild card. So now that I'm looking at it, in slightly different order, we both think the top three teams from the East, Blue Jays, Rays, and Yankees, will make the make the playoffs. Neither one of us picked the Red Sox. So I guess we're out ahead of it, or that's really going to come back to bite us. Um, and did you come close on the Red Sox for any of these spots? Um, yeah, that last the last spot I think is pretty wide open, and I kind of I think I went a little bit with my with my heart for that last spot, and I took the Angels to make that because I just like I think I just want to see it. Otani, Trout, um, Noah Syndergaard's look pretty good in camp. I think that like that gives them some hope of like okay, this could be you know another pitcher who on the high end could you know along with Otani give us like someone who could really. Um, compete against the best lineups because I mean they really haven't had any like elite pitcher and I don't know it's been a while so um, other than Otani you know, last year was really the first season that Otani was able to even put that together for twenty plus starts so um, I'm taking the Angels in the sixth spot but I think that the last wild card spot in the AL is going to be super wide open I, I include the Angels the Red Sox in that group I. The Tigers, I would think, could be in that group. I, th- I think the Royals could be in that group. I think the Mariners could be in that group. I think there's a lot of interesting teams. No, I, I think the Royals are going to finish in last place because I I don't think their pitching is that good at all. But for my last wild card spot, I took Seattle, which is kind of funny because I've kind of talked a couple of times about how I don't fully buy into them yet. I think I'm a little just hyped up on Julio Rodriguez being there because I think he's awesome. But when I thought about the other options for that last spot, you just kind of went through a bunch of them. Do I really think the Angels are better? Maybe the Red Sox. I don't trust their pitching. The Tigers and the Royals, not yet. Uh, so why not the Mariners? You know, why, As I said earlier, they're going to outscore their opponents and win fewer games. However, you could win fewer games and still win 88 games and get the third wild card spot. And that's what I think is going to happen. All right, the American League champions, I picked the Blue Jays. I think it's all come together for them. I think it's all set up. Obviously, it's a a hard road out of the East. I get that. But I think that they don't have any major weaknesses, and I think this is their year. The Blue Jays are going to be my American League champions. Um, I'm going with the White Sox for some of the reasons that we mentioned before. We we talked about like last week on the podcast as well, just like I think winning your division – probably with some ease and being able to sort of line up your rotation while another team, and in my case, I think it's going to be the Blue Jays will be in the wild card round, has some significant benefits. So um, I think I picked the White Sox last year and they were terrible in the postseason, but I'll stick with them again. All right, we're going to just uh, finish up with our MVP Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Award winners, my American League MVP. I'm picking the chalk. I'm picking Shohei Otani. Here's why. If he does anything like he did last year, and they come anywhere close to making the playoffs. How can you not pick him, right? He could be 
as you know, not quite as good as last year and still an amazing player because he's doing both of these things at the same time. He's an amazing pitcher. He's an amazing hitter. He's doing it all at the same time. And I do think, and I know this is going to be wild to say, it's possible he has a better year. Now, hear me out. You look at Otani, the pitcher last year, it didn't actually start off that great. You know, he had lots of control problems. The walks were all over the place. Not unusual for a guy coming back from Tommy John surgery. And if you look at him down the stretch over the last two months, he just basically stopped walking anybody. He turned into one of like the stingiest walk guys in baseball. He was a much better pitcher down the stretch. Now, I understand that the opposite happened for hitting, right? He got worse as he was hitting down the stretch. I totally get it. But there's a version of this where you get first half Otani hitter, second half Otani pitcher, and he puts up the greatest season that you could possibly ever imagine. And if that pushes the Angels into the playoffs, I don't see how you vote for anybody else. Well, but you didn't you didn't pick the Angels in the playoffs. This doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, um, I didn't pick the Angels in the playoffs. <laughs> I'm just saying it could happen. Um, I actually don't think Otani, I'm, I'm sort of on the opposite side of this. I don't think there's any way he's going to be as good as he was last year. So it's impossible to see him winning the – I feel like there's going to be just like, ah, he wasn't as good. And like he set the bar so high. And I think that Vlad, there's a good chance Vlad Jr. will be better than he was last year. And that's why Vlad Jr. is my pick for MVP. Okay, fair enough. All right, Rookie of the Year. The American League Rookie of the Year is just absolutely stacked. Right. There are so many guys you could have gone with the Spencer Torkelson. You could still go with Adley Rutschman if you think he's going to come up. Uh, Shane Boz is still a rookie when he comes back from knee surgery. I, as I said earlier, I really, really wanted to go with Joe Ryan. I think he's got a good dark horse shot. But once I saw that Julio Rodriguez is going to make the opening day roster, I think he's going to be a star from day one. I'm going Julio Rodriguez to be my rookie of the year. Where are you going? I'm going Bobby Wood Jr. I just think he's got like not that I, I think both these guys could be stars, but I just you know I just have a, a he's one of those players, um, and this could just honestly this could just be he had really good uh, social media last year. It just felt like every time I looked on Instagram or looked anywhere, it was like oh my goodness, Bobby Wood Jr. just made another incredible play, or he just did this like an amazing like you know home run. I just think he has a certain um, it factor um, that will uh, will lead the way. All right, now you've talked a little bit about your selections being strategic in that, you know, you're picking guys who will only, you know, win these awards if their teams do well, and then you've also picked their teams to do well. I am going to adopt that for my son, my Cy Young, because I'm picking Jose Barrios. I think the Blue Jays are going to be great, and I think they're going to be great in part because I think he's going to be great. They only had him for 12 or so starts last year, I think, and he looked really good. I think a full season there is just going to be monumental. It's kind of funny because, hey, you know what the Twins really need? A really good starting pitcher like Jose Brios. Uh, but he has signed an extension with Toronto. I look at the rest of the American League starters, and listen, it's not like Garrett Cole isn't great. It's not like Otani isn't great. It's not like there aren't other very good starters around the league. But I don't know. There's just not, other than Cole, maybe someone who stands out to me is like, oh, yeah, it's definitely that dude. I think Brios is a good shot. Yeah, my pick is Cole. I think he's he's quote unquote due. I mean, he's now finished in the Cy, top five in the Cy Young Award one, two, three, four, five times, and he's finished finished second twice. This is kind of like Chris Sale, who basically finished in the top three for like seven straight years and number one. Um, at some point, I think Cole will win it. As I said before, I think he's the best combination of durability and dominance in the game. So maybe this is his year. Uh, super safe, and also he's got a huge upgrade behind the plate because he's going to be throwing to you know Higashioka and Ben Rorva and Jose Trevino and not Gary Sanchez. Hey, that'll do it for this week's podcast. That well, was we, we got to pick. We got to pick our World Series winners. Oh, really? Did we not do that yet? Okay, I'm going to say uh, the Blue Jays. I picked the Blue Jays. I did write it down. I just forgot to say it. Um, I'm picking the Dodgers. Um, I still think Freddie Freeman's really good. The lineup is yeah. ridiculously good, um, and I think that's that will be. I don't. I, 
Yeah, I don't want to say in that matchup that I don't care who wins because obviously I would care, but that would be super fun. Could you imagine Roger Center rocking in October with like Mookie Betts out there and Freddie Freeman there and all the rest of the gang? Like that would be a really fun matchup. I would be extremely into that matchup. Yeah, for sure. All right, Dodgers for Matt, Blue Jays for Mike. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Opening day is in just a couple days. We're so excited. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We will see you next week.